It's time for the Fantasy Points Podcast, brought to you by FantasyPoints.com. Top-level fantasy football and NFL betting analysis from every perspective and angle, from numbers to the film room, with a single goal to help you score more fantasy points. We are back with another episode of On The Clock. I'm your host, Brett Whitefield, and today I am joined by my comrade, Christopher Wecht. What's going on, Chris? Yo, what's up? We have the prospect guide on the site. It is live. It is live. And that is what this episode is about. Is It is the unveiling of the 2023 Fantasy Points prospect guide written by yours truly. But also, I got a special assist from you, Chris. Um, you ended up helping out quite a bit, actually. Do you want to tell the people what you did for the for the prospect guide? <laughs> <laughs> The story sections of the prospects are top notch, if I have to say myself. Yeah, <laughs> digging so, into where these guys went to high school, man, you there's some juicy takes takes in that stuff. No, I'm just kidding. It, it wasn't that special, but but it was fun to do. No, it it is it is a big deal though. I think there's a ton of relevance to a player's you know background, his upbringing, the the college recruiting process. You know, if he bounced around from certain schools kind of getting into that player's head as a kid, I, there is a lot of value there. And it's one of my favorite parts about the process is researching that stuff. But what I found out this year, is when you actually have to write up 200 prospects, you don't have time to do that necessarily, especially not when we started as late as we did, Chris. So having you be able to do all that research, I, I think I probably did what the first 40. And then I was like, Chris, I need help. Yeah, something like that. Yeah, and then and then you uh, you. I think in. you get to a point where you you were you could tell that you were you were like, all right, I have, I can't find anything interesting about this guy, and I don't have quite. The, I want to spend more time actually telling you the important stuff yes. about the players. <laughs> yeah, so I mean, the 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 research portion was done by you. All of the measurables and drills, all that data was collected by you as well. So, but yeah, let's let's get into this prospect guide a little bit and tell the people what they can find. I know that uh, – so this this has been basically my life for the last – gosh, since Senior Bowl week really is when we kind of got started. And even then, we got a late start because we switched the format. I was about 30 players deep, and then we switched the, the actual format. So I had to rewrite a lot of these guys. But uh, I think – man, when you – so just landing on the homepage of the prospect guide, you get, you get two letters. You get a letter from John Hansen. I strongly encourage everyone that reads the prospect guide to read both of these letters. I think John writes some really interesting things in his letter. And then my letter is more about explaining my process and how I go about scouting players. I talk about my numeric scoring system and how I developed that and how much film I watch, humble brag. And then ultimately what the scores mean, right? Because that's the most important thing. Each player gets a score on a scale of 0 to 100. And then I kind of break down how those scores translate to draft evaluations. Uh, Chris, anything did I miss there? No, I think that's it. Um, yeah, just it's a good uh, primer for yes. all the pro- profiles you're about to read, and great way and hints at you know stuff that will be coming in the future from the whole fantasy points data stuff and everything. Yes, yeah. So then once you get into the actual profiles themselves you'll see a bunch of data you'll have the player score you'll have their positional rank you'll have their day valuation and that is do i see this guy as a day one 
prospect at day two, day three, or UDFA. And then the overall rank, so that's like a big board ranking. Those are not live currently. We have to add defense, which will come start trickling in slowly over the next week or so. And once we get about, I would say, 50 to 75 defensive players in the system, then we will get you a big board rank there as well. Defensive players are all watched. They're just being written currently. So that is why there's none currently on the site. But yeah, so then as you you move down, you got measurables and drills. So, you know, all the height, weight, hands, arm length, then all their their, uh, combine measurements or workout numbers. Um, and then from there you have the story, which is what we talked about. That's all the background information. And this stuff is really valuable. I, I know a lot of people probably skip this section unless you're super nerdy, but I, I do recommend reading it. It is some of these stories are really intriguing, especially when a guy, you know, was a five-star recruit, like Justin Shorter is a good one, right? He's like a five-star recruit, goes to Penn state, never really gets an opportunity, transfers to Florida. So you kind of get to see all of that track and how they got to the place they're at right now. Yeah, it sets it up when you when you get into their actual what you see on film, the strengths, the weaknesses, and everything. Like, all right, well, is this stuff that you know, like Shorter was expected to be dominant and just wasn't in college, or yeah. was a guy, you know, maybe a three star recruit, not super special coming out of high school, and did he grow into these strengths and weaknesses in college? And yeah, just sets yeah, just sets the background for everything else in the in the profile. Yeah, even there's a. Uh there's a lot of guys that have just really wild stories. Like Evan Hall is another good example. He went to Northwestern, which is an academic school. I wouldn't say they're a football school by any means. They're an academic school. And he had offers from like seven of eight Ivy league schools, which is crazy. So that guy is obviously brilliant, you know, to get football offers from seven of eight Ivy league schools is actually crazy. And, uh, and then the fact that he landed at an academic school, while being a power five one, I mean, it's still, mm-hmm. it just kind of goes to show you his intelligence. And then you can kind of start to see how that intelligence translates to the field. So background stories are important for that reason. There are nuggets to, to pick up on, uh, especially like if guys played other sports or were really good at other sports. Like there's a couple guys in this draft that were n- not just football players. They're all state, you know, basketball players, or there's a couple I think there was a, a receiver that was an all-state baseball player as well. Yeah, lots of track and field athletes. Yeah. Yes, tons of track and field. But you see you see these other skills you pick up from other sports translate to the football field, and it, it, things start to make sense. You know, basketball players are notoriously good at playing above the rim. You know, they're really good at the catch point. If they're a receiver or a tight end, and that stuff just pops off the tape. You, it's pretty rare you see a guy in his profile, he was an all-state basketball player and then isn't good at, contested catch stuff mm-hmm. yeah. those two things all, almost always overlap and i think that's why tight ends probably notoriously have like come out of nowhere in the nfl like you see this a lot right with like antonio gates and jimmy graham and tony gonzalez like these guys were elite basketball players as well and then all of a sudden they just come out of nowhere to take over the nfl well that's probably why um yeah so working down the page you get a, a huge strengths uh right up section so there it's like a it's a bulleted list kind of that has um what i would say like a bolded header that kind of summarizes the the talking point and then there's a a a written description of each trait that we're looking for 
Um, and then there's a matching weaknesses section. Now, obviously, the better the player is, the less weaknesses they have, the more strengths they have, and you know, so on and so forth. But I try to give you everything I see. You know, I don't I don't hold anything back there. Um, and then it, we kind of close out the profiles with a, a final points section, and that mostly talks about you know how a guy scored for me, where I think he should go in the draft, and kind of what I see his role in the NFL being. Yeah, you if you you know you you know maybe you're not super draft crazy, but you just want some quick summaries on all these guys. You could get a pretty good idea on everybody if you just read the final points. And then if you want to dig deep, maybe maybe something sparks your interest in there. You could scroll back up and read the strengths and weaknesses and and get a more deeper dive. But it's super even if I mean to me the strengths and weaknesses are super easy to read through. They're nice bulleted, quick, get the point across and and move on to the next thing like. Yep. This, is, this is exactly how I would want uh, a scouting profile basically written up if I was, you know, an NFL team. And I just, you know, they got to consume tons of information about all these players and you can just get it quick and easy and, and move yep. on to the next guy. Yeah, good. Like just a quick example too. like looking at Bryce Young's profile in his strengths section, the he's got five bullet points and the, the bolded part. So the headers of these bullet points are excellent ball placement accuracy can attack all three levels of the field, pocket mobility and ability to extend plays, fantastic throwing mechanics, provide repeatability, high football IQ, and care for football. So without having to read 800 words, you get a pretty good snapshot of the things he's good at. Moving down, weaknesses, obscenely slow trigger, massive outlier in terms of size, arm lacks top-end juice. Cool. Now, it's I think you pretty quickly get a feel for what he's not good at. And then we have a final points paragraph that summarizes all that. So... You can really get a good idea of where these prospects are without having to read the whole thing if that's not your cup of tea. But I do think, you know, Joe Dolan, our editor, and I did a good job of trying to stay as brief as possible while also being as informative as possible. All right. Well, let's let's actually get into some of these, Chris. I know you've dove in pretty good. Any particular guys you want to ask me about? Put put me on blast about? Uh, let's start with um, a guy that really doesn't have a lot of film, and um, and I think it'd be interesting to hear how he ended up pretty highly ranked for you at his position, and that's Texas running back Roshan Johnson. He ends up as your number four running back, but played obviously behind Bijan Robinson. So there's not a lot of film out there from him. Did you, how did you come to the you know the traits for him that you ended up and ended up scoring him as high as you did? Yeah, so. There's when I score running backs, Chris, you know, we have I talk about the the weighted buckets in the scoring system. So in the traits in film bucket, you have each player in each archetype has certain traits I'm looking for. Well, every running back, regardless of what their archetype is, there's three premium traits that's that if they score well in these traits, their scores get boosted immensely because they are the premium traits. In fact, I don't care if you do everything else badly. If you do these three things well you're going to score high in my system. Um, That is vision. So running back vision, ability to create beyond your blockers and burst. Now, typically for a running back to score well, he has to check two of those boxes. Uh, But if you check all three, you're, you're going to score pretty well. And he checks all three. So these are his three main bullet points in the, in the scouting profile prototype size and athleticism to be a high volume player. 
He's a downhill runner who punishes defenders. I talk about how many tackles he breaks and how, how many yards after contacts he generated. So that's your creating beyond your blockers. High IQ runner with good vision. There's your vision. So his three main strengths I highlight are those three premium traits. So that's how he ends up scoring really well for me. Now, I don't think Roshan's some elite athlete by any means. I think he's actually a pretty good athlete for his size, though. Regardless, I don't think he tested overly good either, right? Yeah, he didn't. No. But that 10-yard split, that one five two at uh, 220 pounds, that's pretty darn good. That's actually really, really good. And so when we talk about burst, like I care about burst way more than I care about top gear for running backs. I need to know you can hit that hole with authority, get to the second level. And once you get to the second level and you can make guys miss, anything goes. You know, it's pretty rare you see runs in the NFL where it's just a guy getting untouched for 80 yards, where that top gear matters a lot. Um, a lot of times it's a guy who breaks three or four tackles and then he's he finds, you know, open field. So that's that's how he scores super high for me. His weaknesses aren't that – I mean, they're not that big of an issue. Um, lateral quickness isn't great, I noted. Pass game ability is a question mark at this point. He didn't catch the football a lot, Chris. But when you do, you you see good reps. And the fact that he played behind Bijan just tells me that maybe – they valued Bijan's touches in the pass game more than his, which would make complete sense. <laughs> Can't really fault him for that. Yeah. In pass pro, he does have, he's got a really large frame with long arms and he's really, really aggressive. Like he likes to lay a hit. Um, he wins one-on-ones pretty routinely, but the lack of experience, you know, it, sometimes it, it trickles into how well he diagnoses stunts and blitzes. But again, this, the sample size is small, so I don't even, you know, I'm not even too sure that that those things will translate to the next level. Mm-hmm. He might be perfectly fine there over a, a bigger sample. So, yeah, I've always liked Roshan and was glad that you liked watching what film he does have out there and thinks he has a chance to actually be something in the NFL. Or what about another guy? Uh, Tank Bigsby is a guy I've been starting to like more and more. You have one of his strengths is creates beyond his blockers, which is one of the premium traits you just mentioned is important. Um, you, your, your first sentence says you would be hard-pressed to find a back in this class who's responsible for creating more of his own yards than Bigsby. That's yeah. a pretty that's a pretty big uh, statement for considering we have like B. John Robinson in this class. Yeah, Bigsby, I really, really liked his, his high, his good games, his high-level tape, really unbelievable stuff. But yeah, he, he had atrocious blocking um, at, at Auburn. But he, I mean, this guy, he he plays with really good power and physicality, I write, and forces missed tackles in bunches. He combines this power and physical running style with just ridiculous cutting ability and lateral quickness. It's it's an insane combination. I'm, I'm trying to even, did I give him a comp in this? I'm trying to trying to come up with a comp on the fly of somebody he reminds me of. I don't even know if there is a guy like that right now. Yeah, maybe Kamara. That's a good one. Yeah, I, like I, people think of Kamara as like this pass game weapon. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about his running style. Like Kamara is in, he's just really, really slippery. He runs, but he runs pretty hard. He's only like 215 pounds, but he runs insanely hard. He'll deliver blows. As a runner, a finish runs really tough, but he's also got this just ridiculous cutting ability, lateral quickness to put guys in a blender. Um, I, I I love that about Tank. Yeah, he's good. The, the only he actually would have scored higher, Chris, 
Like I, I thought about manually adjusting him above both Tajay Spears and Roshan. But the, the reason I ended up not doing that is because he consistency was a big time issue. Like he'd have these blow up games against good teams. And all of a sudden he'd have a game with, you know, 20 carries for 15 yards or something. I'm probably exaggerating a bit, but just games. He just completely disappears from. Do you think that is a, because Auburn was, was not a great team last year. And I don't, and since he's been there, not really been an awesome team. Is is that an effort thing? Or do you think it's a, he just, he just, he just loses it sometimes, loses the focus. Yeah. He loses the vision. I think he loses that feel. Uh, yeah, I don't, I don't know. It's uh, you, you want to give him benefit of the doubt because Auburn was not a good team. His supporting cast was bad. But then when you compare to other running backs in similar situations, like Evan Hall in Northwestern, um, shout out to Derek Brown. He loves Evan Hall, and we've already mentioned him twice on this podcast. But, you know, Evan, he was in a bad – like, Northwestern's not a good football team, really. No. Their offensive line, other than Skaronsky's terrible. They don't have a single NFL player at pass catcher. Evan Hall was the offense. They, he couldn't afford to disappear from games, and he didn't. Hall was insanely consistent. You know, if he wasn't, if he wasn't contributing in the run game, he was contributing in the pass game. So, and I think Bigsby's a better player than him, but it's like, well, if Evan Hall can do that at Northwestern in a, in a season where he's got to play Michigan and, you know, Ohio State and Iowa and Penn State, like, well, then why can't Tank do that, you know, in the SEC? Right. Um, so that, that that's my only real concern with him, and that's why I didn't do the manual adjustment. But I, I love his game, man, and I think the right coach is going to get a ton out of him. I think he fits, like, every scheme, too, because of his running style. Yeah. Yeah, there's not uh, there's not too many bad fits. It seems like in terms of where he could land. Yeah. All right, let's jump over to a receiver that scored out higher than I knew you liked him, but I was a little surprised how high he did end up. And that is Wake Forest, At Perry, bigger receiver. Yeah, which is unique to this draft. Did that factor in at all to where he ended up scoring? Yeah. Yep he got a little bit of a, a manual bump because of that. I think he all, yeah, he passed, he passed up Josh downs because of that basically. Yeah. Yeah. Downs is a little bit lower than I, I think downs has been pretty much almost always like the fifth wide receiver on people's boards right now. Yeah. Fifth or sixth for sure. Depending on where you have Hyatt usually. Um, yeah. Right. Cause so will Hyatt be Quinton Johnson, Jackson Smith and Jigba Addison. And Addison then, flowers and uh, then high. Yeah. Yeah. So six high. usually. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, the, the, I gave him a little bump cause the, the size thing over and he only, he only passed one receiver because of that, but yeah. AT Perry can freak freaking ball. If you haven't checked out my episode of Danny Kelly from Friday, I would strongly recommend going and listening to that because it, uh, we talk about AT Perry in depth, but, um, if you, if you like what DJ Chark brings to the table as far as body control and deep tracking ability and, and vertical skill set, you'll love A.T. Perry. Now, A.T. Perry is probably not that juiced up of a athlete is, is Chark, but he's a really, really good athlete. Actually, at this point in Chark's career, he might be a better athlete than Chark is right now because Chark's had some, some injuries over the years. He had a really bad ankle injury as a rookie and then the ACL two years ago that he's kind of still recovering from. So... Uh, yeah, at this point, Perry might actually have more juice, but he gives you all of that. He's a just an absolute monster on the boundary. Um, he can attack three levels of the field, 
You know, he's got the built-in free yards because he's going to see a lot of cushion. Exceptional vertical player. Uh, ball tracking skills are great. He's a the thing that stood out most with him too is he's a very technical and nuanced route runner, um, which is actually one of the bullets of his strengths. For a guy, he's got insanely long legs. He's kind of a high cut six foot three and a half receiver, so he's got longer legs than even a normal six three guy. So you don't expect him to be able to to bend. You don't expect those ankles to be super flexible, those hips to be super flexible, but they are. Um, he can, he really does a good job of ex- accelerating through his breaks, exploding out of them. He makes really harsh cuts. Um, he he really I think he's can dominate out on the boundary out there as a as a true X receiver. So uh, yeah, he's a player I absolutely love. Doesn't have a lot of uh, weaknesses to his game actually. Yeah, it seems like he can do everything well and some things really well, um, but maybe not as high you know as the Quinton Johnsons of the class type thing. Yeah, Johnson's a ceiling play. Like I think right. he's a more refined player right now. I think he does like the route running elements of his game, stuff like that. I think Perry's better than Johnston, but Johnson just has the the crazy ceiling because you, you know, similar size. Johnson's a lot heavier, but definitely more of a freaky athlete. And you see the magic happen when he has the ball in his hands. All right, I have to ask about this this bullet point because it's jumped off the page to me. Stanford wide receiver Michael Wilson. He ends up as your 14th best receiver. You you have a strength in here calling him arguably the best route runner in this class. Yes. That's there, there's some pretty big name receivers in this class. Yes. He, Wilson is a phenomenal route runner. I don't even know where to start. So first of all, people are going to be like, how can you say the guy's the best route runner in the class and have him at 14th? I'll say right off the top, this is a dude I've battled with in my mind. I had to stand on the score, and the score is as low as it is because of the lack of film, Chris. When I actually look at the guys ahead of him, what do we got? Jaden Reed, Tank Dell, Tyler Scott. I like Tyler Scott, so I'm not going to say that. Cedric Tillman, great example. I, I personally like Michael Wilson better than those guys. Yeah, I wouldn't have. If, they were, if he was above them, I wouldn't have said that you're crazy. Yeah, I, I personally like Wilson better than all of those guys from what we've seen from him. The problem is just we haven't seen a lot. But going back to your your route running uh, point, yeah, I mean, he – the dude is – he's he's massive. He's rocked up. His frame is like – he looks like a old school T.O. That's actually his build. He's a little shorter than T.O. I think he's like 6'2", 215-ish. But he doesn't have an ounce of body fat on him. And he's just a, a monster. With that big frame, you're getting insane flexibility. Like Chris, we saw like down in Mobile. Remember him working those ladder drills, and his he's working on his release. Yeah, game I think we talked about him for three days straight, and I missed I missed talking about him for because I feel like we have he's yeah. been like so quiet since Senior Bowl. Yeah, the his, hype around his him, foot speed and flexibility is unfreaking believable for a guy his size. It's 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 truly remarkable, and you see all of those reps pop on tape. Um, explosive, explosive route running. He generates separation pretty pretty easily, especially in short and intermediate routes. I don't know that he'll ever be like a, a great deep threat in the NFL. Um, if you're throwing him deep balls, it's because you're just assuming he can go out athleticism somebody at the catch point, um, which his broad and vertical suggests he he could probably do that. 
Um, also, 6-2-215 with a 1-5 10-yard split. Only a handful of guys in this entire receiver class had a better 10-yard split. I think Rashi Rice was one. Tank Dell may have been another. I mean, th- that's ridiculous. Yeah, so he's exploding but, off the line and yeah. getting quick separation for sure. Yeah, so if he, that's another good point too about his, his uh, vertical route tree. He might be effective downfield because his explosiveness off the line is so extreme. He's going to eat up cushions fast, and he's going to be able to alter his tempo to keep defensive backs like really off balance. Um, if you put him in a slot as like a big slot and then run him down the seam or, you know, on a, a two way go post corner, like he's going to put safeties in a blender. If, the, if he's seeing cover four or cover two, it's going to be pretty. pretty yeah, I was going to ask, do you so, see him more as a big slot type guy? Um trying to think of, he, he the, I mean, this guy didn't work yeah. for sure. But I, I, if you draft him and you're like, we want to make him the next, I don't know, Juju Smith Schuster, that's a good one, yeah. Yeah, the, like he's he's a better version of that because he's ri- he's ridiculous after the catch too. So, all right, is there any uh, anyone you want to highlight from this that you were surprised by where you your score in it? Because because you try to keep it. Pre- I mean, it's biased in that you're scoring everybody, but you you pretty much stick to your where your score says they're supposed to be. You don't you don't do yeah. too many manual bumps, and if you're doing them, it's usually for reasons like like you kind of mentioned earlier where. A guy just doesn't have a certain amount of film to give him a high enough score or, you know, maybe he's got an injury history that you got to bump him for, stuff like that. Yeah, most of the time I, I'll bump a guy either up or down. It's because there's some background information that is troubling. Right. I have an intangible score that kind of accounts for that, but sometimes, you know, we'll learn more as we get closer to the draft. Or if, if I'm in a situation where I don't want to be a fence sitter. Uh, so a good example is Xavier Hutchinson. I think he initially scored at like a 74.9 or 75.0 for me, which is right on the day two, day three break. I didn't want to fence it and just say, eh, whatever. If you want to draft him in the third round, go ahead. If you want to draft him on day three, that's also fine. I I manually adjusted him to a, a flat 74. And this is a guy I like a lot too. He's probably one of the better day three receivers you'll find in most drafts, but I do think his athletic limitations greatly cap his upside. Now I know he ran a, a decent 40 or whatever, and, and it was, was okay at the combine. I just don't know that that, I, I don't think he plays that fast at all. So, uh, but yeah, that, that's a guy I was kind of surprised and I, I felt like I had to make a manual adjustment because I just wanted to, to plant a flag. I didn't want him to be right on that bear. Now 74 is not much further down, but that's not a that's clearly not a day two pick to me. I don't think you, I don't think we actually mentioned what your how your scores uh, it, basically get the day. What are what are the what's the breakdown for what's what score means what day that you would rank them on? Yep. So ninety five and above is what I would call a blue chip talent. Um, you have to be really 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 good at football to get a ninety five in my system. Who was the last ninety five off the top of your head? Chase, maybe? Mm, no. Sauce Gardner. Okay, even more recent. Sauce Gardner, yeah. So that that's the type of player you're looking at when, when you say a blue chip player. Yep. Sauce Gardner, the, the Chase year, we had Chase. Trevor Lawrence was above a 95 for me. Um, Waddle was really close as well. Pinay was up there, I think. 
Panay might not have been quite a 95, but he was like a 94.9. But that just shows you the level of prospect you need to hit that. Um, and then, yeah, so anything above 95 is a blue chip. A day one grade is 87.5 or higher. So 87.5 to 100 is considered a first round grade. <clears throat> In most classes, I have anywhere between 18 and 25, 26 first round grades. I don't know how many I'll have this year, but I'm guessing it's going to be between 22 and 23. Uh, 75.0 to 87.4 is a day two grade. And then 62.5 to 74.9 is a day three grade. And then anything under 62.5 is a UDFA. So going back to Hutchinson, yeah, he was right at that 74.9 range, and I just didn't want to didn't want to fence it so i bumped him down a little bit to a 74 i don't think he lost rank position because of that but i definitely wanted to let the people know that i didn't see him as a day two prospect yeah which is definitely where i've heard plenty of people talk about him being a day two prospect so definitely a guy you're much lower on than consensus yeah and it's 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 another awkward one where i'm just trusting my my system because i like i said i like his tape like, if you were like, you, you have a choice between Andre Lashavas from Princeton, Keishan Boutte, and Hutchinson, I would pick Hutchinson over those three guys, yet he ranked lower than them. <laughs> so, I don't know. This is the See, interesting part about trying to be objective and stay out of your bias, you know? Yep, yep. So, you, uh, you, you know blue chip – QBs this year, but you do have six that scores first round grades for you, which if six. anyone read your latest, yeah, right. Hooker, Levis, Young, Stroud. Should be five. Or five. Wow, I can't count today. Um, you do have five QBs that have day one grades for you. You, if anyone read your latest mock draft, you had Hooker go in the very back of the first round. Yep. So your scores reflect that you didn't give Hooker any kind of bump to that he needed to be make him a first round grade. Like he's a he's a legit first round prospect for you. Yeah, and in fact, I think the manual bump I gave him was down. I guess it was not a bump. But it was a <laughs> I bumped him down a little bit. He was flirting with Levis' score eighty eight point seven, and um, I think Levis's deficiencies on tape are clearer to me than Hooker's. But the system Hooker comes from is really scary. And in fact, I'm probably the highest on him in the entire industry. Yep. And I'm I'm excited about it because if he hits, it's gonna look it's gonna do well for me. But if he if he misses, then I'm gonna know why. I, if if Hennon Hooker doesn't pan out as a prospect, th- it's because of the system he played at in college. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, when you talk about a a skill summary, I mean. I mean, just shoot, just read these bullet points. Tell me this is not a, a great quarterback prospect. Arm talent, concise and consistent throwing mechanics lends to accuracy. Decision-making is incredible. I wrote, Hooker never puts the ball in harm's way. And the crazy part about that, Chris, is that Tennessee offense does what? They attack vertically on every snap. So for him to never put the ball in harm's way while he's also throwing 40, 50, 60 yeah, yards. Balls that naturally go into harm's way. Yeah, yeah it is unbelievable. Um, and then ability to extend plays with his legs and threaten the run. He is a legitimate runner. Now, he's not Richardson-level runner, but he's a good runner with the football. You could actually design a run game around him. I probably wouldn't, but you could. Maturity and leadership qualities. 
and this is uh, probably one of the most underrated aspects of being a quarterback in the NFL is you have to be able to lead people. It's also the thing we can't quantify as as onlookers, right? It's like I, I, I'm decently connected in the NFL. I can ask as many people as I want about Hendon Hooker, but I still will never truly know unless I was with the guy all day every day. Yeah. Like this is the stuff that the teams find out in those combine meetings, yep. uh, pre pre draft visits, whatever you know, senior bowl meetings if they were there. And even still, you can you can train how to fake it until you make it. Mm-hmm. For like, sure, you, you can dupe teams. So like, but everybody I've talked to has basically said that this kid is unbelievable between the ears. Just absolutely, just super mature kid. You know, natural leadership ability. Uh, mental toughness you know he, he played through some injuries he's had a, a, a rough track getting to where he's at as a he was a was he a six-year quarterback this year i think so yep started his career at virginia tech yep. gets gets basically picked uh, they, the tech picks braxton burmeister over him and he decides to transfer to tennessee and then obviously things work out for him there yeah so so when you when you list those strengths off though you're like wow this this guy sounds like a top five pick, and he was playing that way until he tore his ACL this year. So that that's the other bump he got or a negative bump he got. Chris was the, the ACL because he's twenty five years old, torn ACL. You know, there's a chance he's not even in rookie mini camps and and you know OTAs. And then if training camp gets in question, now you're talking about him not getting meaningful reps until what twenty six years old, right? Not, not ideal way to start a career as a quarterback. So. Yeah, well, it's not when you can draft 21, 22-year-old QBs that right. also have a lot of talent. Yes. So the skill set is there for me to love him, but there are definitely question marks that are, are scary, to say the least. So, And, and oh, people are inevitably going to ask, what's wrong with the Tennessee offense? Um, if you've listened to this pod before, we talked about it with Hyatt and Cedric Tillman. This Tennessee offense is the most extreme, ultra-tempo spread offense we see in college football. It's similar to what Baylor was running back when Baylor was at their peak, what, probably close to a decade ago now under Art Bryles. They they do these really crazy stack bunch formations outside the numbers, and the numbers in college are insanely wide. And so they'll line two, three receivers up outside the numbers, pinned to the sideline, and they all run switch releases. And those switch releases create chaos for defensive backfields in college football. They have no idea how to lock and level. It's... It just creates absolute mayhem, and inevitably you'll get one or two guys running wide open down the field. And so that is the progression in that system. Hooker doesn't – there's no second read. You know, he's got, you know, concept one and check down, and he barely hit the check down even. Um, concept one, check down, scramble. Like that's that's what it is, and Hooker pretty much was – throw to my first concept or scramble there was no in between he didn't get to a second read almost ever never had to either so it's not right like, he pretty much maximized what the offense led him to do yeah two extreme levels like i'm i'm convinced he was going to win the heisman if he didn't tear his acl um if you want to watch an exciting hendon hooker game go watch the alabama game on primetime football from this past fall unbelievable one of the best college football games i've watched in years he led them to victory and upset i think the number one ranked alabama Crimson Tide at the time and did so on a game winning drive that was unbelievable. Marched him down the field through like that 30 yard dig route over the middle of the field. Beautiful pass to get them in field goal range to kick the field goal, win the game. 
that's the type of stuff you're looking for with Hendon Hooker. So I love him. I'm a big, big, big Hooker guy. Yeah, I, I like Hooker for all those reasons you just said. All right. Well, I think we gave a pretty good detail about the stuff type of stuff you can find in the draft pile. It is free, so it's not even like you have to. Uh, there's no paywall as long as you have a fantasy points account. You can read all of this, and yep. there'll be much more coming to it as well. Which is free to make, by the way. Yes. Yeah. Yep. The the account. Yes. The account is free to make. Yep. So you just have to give them your email, create a little login. It takes two seconds, and you get access to the prospect guide, which will be over 150 prospects when it's all said and done. I'm going to do my best to try to get to 200. It's looking less and less likely as the days go on, but we will do do our best. I'm I've watched over 180 guys at this point, so who knows? Who knows what can happen? But. Well, awesome. Thank you so much for listening, Chris. Thanks for joining me to unveil the prospect guide. Um, we, I will be back tomorrow. I've got a, a fun guest for you guys lined up. And uh, is there anything else, Chris, we should talk about before we go? Uh, no, I think that, yeah, just 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 go read the draft guide. Yo, I do know what it is. I knew I was forgetting something. Gosh dang it. Chris, you have a stream tomorrow night, correct? Oh, yes, yes. Scott Barrett and I started last week on with our best ball live stream every Wednesday, 7.30 p.m. Eastern. We're, we're just, you know, we're getting into these drafts the same way you are, I'm sure, around this time because people draft year-round now. We're just uh, figuring it out as we go, dealing with all the – this week will be fun because I'm sure there will be all kinds of ADP shakeups with free agency and draft getting closer. I mean, who knows where guys are, are, are going to get taken. Um, so it's fun. It's – you can draft with us, hop in the same room as us. It'll be a good time. Come watch it, and uh, we'll have some fun. I highly recommend watching it. Even if you're not into best ball, it's entertaining, especially because um, Scott Barrett inevitably, inevitably gets roasted over and over, <laughs> which which is great. So uh, definitely stop in, say what's up in the chat if you're watching that live stream, and check Chris out at... Fantasy Points YouTube. At Fantasy Points YouTube. And what's your Twitter? Oh, Chris Wecht FF. At Chris Wecht FF. All right, cool. We are out. Thanks for tuning in to this edition of the Fantasy Points Podcast. Remember to subscribe, rate, and review on your favorite platform. And come join the roster at FantasyPoints.com. Fantasy Points.